Hi, everyone. Today on Arash's World, we have a leadership and life coach, Luz Campagna, and welcome to Arash's World. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. If you can just briefly introduce yourself. I mean, I did already give away that you are a leadership and life coach, but anything else you want to share with us here? Okay, well, thank you for having me. Yes, my name is Luce. Um, I have a French accent. I am French Canadian uh, based in Vancouver here, and I'm a life and leadership coach. Uh, what that means is that I work with individuals in the life coach uh, portion uh, of my work to, uh, where to begin, to essentially reconnect them to, them to themselves, to where they want to go, and to craft a plan to make it happen. That would be the very summary version. And I can also work with leaders in organizations, um, again, to do about the same thing, to reconnect them to themselves so they can be better leaders for their teams. Okay, that's wonderful. So one of the things you say to put people in the driver's seat, and um, I saw that's in your website. I really like that idea of, of like, you know, basically giving them, giving people control of, uh, of their lives and the path they're taking and the roadmap and all that. So the next question would be, how would you do this? And it's a tough question, but generally, how would you try to do that? Well, first of all, the coaching relationship really invites uh, people to be intimate with themselves. Often people are really stuck in the doing part of their life and they're not so much paying attention to their being. So that's what coaching invites. It's really a journey back to yourself. What is important to me, to my soul, to my heart? Uh, what are my values? So a lot of self-knowledge, so self-discovery, essentially. Um, so when people really understand and resonate to what's, what they have inside of themselves, what's important to them, then we can design something so they get more of that. And there's going to be roadblocks in the way that are going to pop, right? There's going to be limiting beliefs about themselves, their ability to be who they want or yearn to be in the world. And when those things come up, and they will, we unpack them, explore what's there. There will be a lot of detours as well, and you change directions. And uh, we see a lot of people changing their lives currently with the pandemic too. So what, what impact has the pandemic had on, oh. on people's lives and their careers and personal lives? What would you say about that? Oh, it's so rich. Where to begin? Um, yes. People have been in a state of somewhat confusion and a little bit of shock. Eh? It's been 18 months. Uh, people had to drastically change the way that they live. Um, but one of the biggest impact, and then people started having more time to be with themselves. Whew. And for a lot of people, that was super triggering because they weren't, without all the doing and the external pursuits, they, a lot of people became really uncomfortable sitting with themselves and started noticing more escapism, um, you know, whether it's, it's um, like some checking out behaviors, whether it's video games or, or just kind of wasting time away to check out from ourselves. A lot of people have noticed that. And then obviously substance abuse has been I mean, liquor stores were an essential service throughout the pandemic. People still needed that escape. Um, and I know personally a lot of people who have come to terms, like have had a sort of reckoning with themselves by sitting more, spending more time sitting with themselves. They came face to face with themselves and they're like, I'm not comfortable with this person. What the hell am I doing? Is this my life? So a lot of, for a lot of people that had the courage to embrace the reckoning, something erupted out of it and yes it's been a wake-up call i mean i i can talk about my personal experiences and the person i am now than i was two years back three years back is not the same it's a radical shift but i'm someone who is introverted and for me spending time with myself it's i say bring it on but even so even so people, it's not just with themselves because they're also with their families. They're also with their spouses. And that could be a good thing, in, which is my experience, but that can also be a bad thing because all the, um, maybe a lot of people realize that they don't actually have much in common with their loved ones or with their, with their partners and uh, things erupt and things go, go south and go badly. As well. well, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, there's been how many relationships and, you know, the rate of divorce is increasing because people are noticing that the connection is no longer what it used to be or it never was, perhaps. 
but yeah, it's been, it's been a big awakening time for a lot of us in the pandemic. As a result, I get a lot of clients coming to coaching and just say, I don't think I like where I am and I'm not sure where I want to go. I'm not sure how to deal with this. I used to have dreams and now I'm just kind of, people just don't know. And working with a coach in the self-discovery journey will lead you back to yourself. Mm -hmm. Essentially. And we, that's we that's my way to help with this. Absolutely. And we get uh, very confused also with, with who we are. And I think that is just going back to the drawing board and trying to figure out what is really me, what is not me, what is my parents' views of me, what is my friends' views and my spouse's views, my partner's views. So it's just a, a, a mess that we need to untangle. And do you do you help with that as well? Can you guide people <laughs> in that direction, or is that absolutely? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what came out? I mean, first of all, I created a coaching program. It's called Playbook for Your Life. I mean, this is only one of the module. It's seven modules. It's a nine-week program, and this is essentially the work of my own 2020 reckoning. When you know external circumstances made me stop my life, complete halt, and I just looked and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Mm -hmm. And why am I doing it? And where am I going? And I had this state of, of confusion. And what I did, because I'm a leader through and through, I've applied some of the same leadership principles that I would do for a business to my own life. What's the vision? And I, and, and, and I started from there. And a year after I complete, I changed my life. I've changed a lot of the behaviors that were not serving me, but I didn't know that brought everything into light to a greater level of consciousness through coaching, um, uh, among other things. And I just put it down on paper. So yeah, I have people coming and I offer the program. Sometimes we just do, um, just more like, um, not random, but just more coaching what's there. And we just go with, without having module work. And for some people, they're like, yeah, I want to do this module work. I mean, one of the modules that I work with explores our vision of success because you said it. Are we living or are we trying to fill somebody else's checklist, mm -hmm. right? What's your vision of success? Is it even yours? Or are you trying to live your dad's dream or your wife's dream? All these situations where we're not, where we're acting out of alignment with ourselves creates disease like depression anxiety you name it um and i and i've seen that over and over again just people there's some malaise and unease spread throughout because everything's tangled and confused mm -hmm. and we we're finding ourselves so you said you've had transitions yourself is there anything that you'd like to share about some of your transitions and what was the motivation to turn towards coaching was that something you always wanted to do or is it something that's came up or just in my experience it's been some things i've learned that i want to share with others maybe yeah, there's yeah. part of the reason there as well but what, what would be your journey from in just brief terms how would you describe that how did you get to this point on a personal level i had a big yeah personal reckoning reckoning and reconnecting to my heart and understanding why i was having behaviors that were not serving me um, I consider myself in recovery now. I've completely changed my relationship with alcohol and with relationships. I used to use those two um, avenues to check out from myself, to numb myself, to live an illusion outside of myself because I wasn't super comfortable with who I was. Um, so, you know, brought in spiritual practice, um, brought in a self-care practice. I was completely abandoning myself by not really taking responsibility for myself in some ways. Mm. And that's what the recovery path has been, to be radically authentic with myself, take care of myself at a soul level, um, which then brought me to look at my work and say, okay, I'm loving a lot out of this organizational leadership work but I'm getting a little bit checked out regarding some parts of it. Well, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna have integrity around that. And I'm gonna just switch and do more of what I'm really good at and what I really like and what fuels my soul. And that was coaching. Mm -hmm. That was coaching individuals 
towards their, their greater selves and towards a place where they had increased engagement coming to work. They knew their potential. They wanted to rise. They wanted to embrace their own talent. And that's what I was really good at, to have teams with a high morale. And, and I'm really passionate about it, obviously. Um, and that ability to lead, I think, came from a really authentic place. And I'm like, OK, deal. I'm going to go and do more of that. And that's when I went back to school in November 2020 after having a few months of reckoning of my own. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the new path of, of your own, that uh, redirection. Yeah, new path. And I'm still, I still want to be involved in organizations. I love organizational dynamics, leadership, team synergy, team performance, that stuff I live for. I really love it. Um, and I love also to empower individuals to, to, to get to know themselves, to have some sort of mastery about themselves. We're like musical instrument, right? If we really want to play a nice melody, we have to know ourselves. We have to know how we work, and that's individual work, really. And and it takes uh, it takes a lot of honesty too, of of looking at it and saying, okay, this is who I am. This is what I'm good at, and this yeah. is what I can develop, and this is what I enjoy. And so there is a lot of information where we get sidetracked or we think of, okay, I'm going to go after the money or this is convenient or this job uh, suits me at this moment. But when I, when I look around, when I listen and when, when everyone has a different kinds of escape, right? So we can choose also working. That could be a That was my escape, basically 100%. becoming a workaholic and just like being obsessed about work or being obsessed about food and have emotional eating and just like trying to deal with it. There, there, there are different ways we try to escape, we cope with this situation. But the good news is when when people like you talk about this, when I talk about it in my blog and in my interviews, so that people also realize. It's okay. I mean, this is, they can identify with it. When I hear in the news that there are a lot of people who are dissatisfied with their lives or their jobs and their careers, I feel encouraged. You're like, I'm not the only one. That's right. No, I mean, that's, yeah, that's everywhere. The grand resignation is, is a big thing where everybody's leaving their job. But you made an excellent point about, can we accept all of ourselves? Can we accept that we still have some, some unease inside of us that makes us want to check out or want to overeat or, or to get a little drunk, you know? Like, can, can we accept that about ourselves that we have some unease? And can we be gentle and kind to that part of ourselves too? That is the radical acceptance and compassion for self. And that is the first step to self-care. And a lot of it, it comes from trauma that we've had, that we carry around, that we build, yeah. keep building. I mean, there's like traumatic experiences on a daily basis, you know, and even at work, you know, outside and interacting with people. But um, how can we release that? And that's something that I'm very interested in of like trying to deal with that trauma and try to move on without running away, but actually like confronting it and solving it. What would be your advice for, for doing that and how to do that? Yeah, I, I can only speak from my own personal experience to what worked because I am not a trauma therapist. Don't pretend to be one. I'm very familiar with my own trauma and what it, and what where it led me to to you know what the answers to to cope with that trauma were. So and that's the beautiful journey of of doing the work on ourselves. But for me, it's been reparenting. Like in this moment where I have a really old stunted trauma stunts some emotional development right some part of me of uh, in me I still have a five-year-old kid that feels completely in despair I think we all do we all do frightened frightened yeah. and that person shows up sometimes and wants to drive the bus and what I can do is acknowledge it not running away from it not drink it away and just say oh wow little loose you're showing up and you're really, really frightened. And I can acknowledge it um, and reassure her and just say, okay, well, I'm driving the bus now. We're middle-aged, we got this. Uh, but uh, without acknowledging it, that energy takes over us. But uh, being able to acknowledge it and care for it, reparent it. Just say, no, we're not gonna do this behavior to shut you down. We're gonna listen to what you have to say and not spend the rest of the day in there. We're gonna acknowledge it, 
put her to bed or whatever and, and just make the best decision from our current selves. That's the way that I deal with when that energy shows up. Trauma is that. It's in your body. It will show up and take over. Fight, flight, freeze, uh, fawn. And, and now I can catch myself saying, oh, what is this people-pleasing behavior? Yeah, you're trying to fit in or you're trying to appease or I, I can catch myself having these behaviors and making a place from an empowered place now. And, and I like how you're not sugarcoating it. So this is something that is going to be uncomfortable. And so, so people in, in, in today's society want things quickly, fast. It's easier to, to take medication to drink yeah. than to actually work through it. And it is a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort, but then you see the re reward and you say, yeah, well, like playing an instrument. I mean, it's, you can't play the instrument overnight. It takes years of practice. And this is not that different. Sports as well, we use the term coach. And um, again, you have to be practicing for a long time to, to get there to the higher. That's state. right. That's right. And, and in coaching, yeah, what we want to get to, or certainly what I want to get to is a place where I can have enough mastery of myself that I can feel some emotional freedom, some ease in my life that I can make decisions that are going to be taking me to my North star, my vision, my life purpose. So getting me closer to it in that same direction. Um, and that is mastery of our own instrument, uh, which is us. Um, and I want to say something about checking out behaviors. Um, what I noticed in, in my own life is that that was self-abandonment. You know, when that voice of being uneasy or, you know, would show up and that little kid inside of me was feeling frightened. Well, you know, drinking it away was essentially abandoning that person again to say, no, we don't want to hear you. No, don't cry. You're not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to have emotion. Just hide that away. That, that was ultimately trauma reenactment. And at some point I said, no more abandoning myself. Mm -hmm. No more. Mm -hmm. So that's what it meant for me. And that's why it stuck. And, and it's, it's, it's that realization of you don't have to follow that same pattern. I mean, it's something you've been doing for years and there's always a moment where you can say, okay, I'm going to do something slightly different and take it step by step in a, in a new direction. But as you say, it is hard. We need to be patient. We need to be caring with, with ourselves. And that, that inner critic that always tells us, like, we are failing, we are wrong, or you can't do this. And try to kind of look beyond that, I think. And maybe see it as somebody, okay, I appreciate your advice, your opinion. Yeah. That is just an opinion. I yeah. will follow another opinion, and that is a higher being of myself, a higher version of myself, I would say. Absolutely. It's that vision that we have, and then asking ourselves, who do I need to be? Like, what version of myself, or what do I need to channel within myself to live up to that vision that I have for my life? Of us I mean, we yeah. A lot of us are currently, and I can talk about myself too, in what we would call a midlife crisis. I mean, this is, Ooh, this is the, age, the age we're at. And, um, and it hits, I think, everyone, even if we don't want to acknowledge it. It's like, I think it's a natural process. Now, my theory is that when we're younger, our defense system is much stronger, antivirus, if you like, so that we protect ourselves from a lot of the negative stuff, the trauma that's building in. But at some point, you can't help it and you get those sleepless nights and you get that worry that preoccupation and you ask yourself what is this all about what am i doing and you reevaluate your time with or without pandemic but the pandemic has done it just like putting a magnifying glass on it and those who are going through a midlife crisis now it's tenfold yes yeah it forced us to stop but absolutely and i think yeah, maybe in midlife, something catches up at some point, you know, all the BS or it just starts being too much and it catches up with us. And maybe we have more guts to stop long enough to look at it. Um, I think, you know, the life experience adds to that. Or we feel our time is calculated. You know, there's not so much time left. And we're like, is this the life I wanted to live? Absolutely. Yeah. And yes. yeah, is these, these are big midlife questions. I love midlife uh, coaching people in midlife in this 
reevaluation and recalibration. I think it's super rich. Um, I people call it midlife crisis. I called it midlife awakening. Right. I like that. Yeah, it's reframing it as well. And I think with crisis, what I think is with crisis, there's opportunity. Just because you Always. have a crisis doesn't mean that things are going to go down. It's like now, let's. What do we do about it? How do we confront it? How do you deal with it? And I think and that is an important act of agency too. Like we have control over large mm -hmm. parts of not all of it, but big chunks of it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No. Getting that sense of empowerment back, and every obstacle um, or or every emotion, for that matter, has something to tell. It is information. Um, every reaction that we have is information about our our own place in the world, our values. You know, reaction of anger. You know, can be uh, can be just a, a simple um, reaction to our values or our boundaries being crossed, or something that's important to us that's not being honored out there in society, and we get like all super riled up against it. And, and we it's see that a lot. We see that a lot now with a lot of things going wrong, and I think it's kind of a feedback system too. It's like okay. Um, people get angry, people get very emotional about things, people are very outspoken about things, but then also the reflective part is like, okay, why am I feeling this? What's behind it? And I think that a lot of people don't see and can't see because they don't have the tools. That's when a coach would be really handy. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because in coaching, we explore what's here now. Oh, wow. You know, what is being triggered and we get curious and often getting curious just by ourselves can be super jarring. What if I open a can of worm? What am I, how am I going to deal with that? Now I'm going to see new things. I'm not going to, I'm going to be overwhelmed with insights. So doing it with a coach that's going to walk with you on that journey um, and is a sounding board as well, right? And gets insights and listens for for what is not being said, and is gonna call her out, call us out on our BS too, because we have a lot of pre-recorded stories that we can give as you know to ourselves. But when we have somebody else to be able to call that out, super helpful. How would you deal with younger adults and younger people nowadays? So there there is a part of them that is commendable and their enthusiasm, their energy, the passion of like for doing the right thing. But there's also the dark side of it where they will say, well, I know better than you guys. And I will tell you guys who are older than me how to do things because you've been wrong for a long time. How, how can you how would you deal with with uh, younger adults in, in, in your coaching? Arash, I think I would tell them to get a coach that has their pulse on, on, on today's youth a little bit more. Um, okay. you know, somebody that really understands the dynamic they're in. I don't think I'm the best person to understand. I'm trying to keep up because I have teenagers. <laughs> mm -hmm. But in terms of the millennial debate mm -hmm. of what's good about them and what's not good about them, I would say I don't understand the dynamic enough to be a good, a good coach for, for somebody like that. And I think that's wonderful. I've also being upfront and honest and not not thinking that you can handle anything, you know, of just saying, okay, this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I have experience with. And this is something that I feel is is not within my realm or somebody else could could maybe do a better job with it. And I think that's that that's why. And again, again, I'm catching myself. That could be a limiting belief. I mean, ultimately, coaches yeah. are trained to coach anybody in any circumstances. But I'm a human and I, I, I have my, my favorite areas to coach in because it also activates like a lot of attunement within myself. Um, and as coaches, we're not supposed to be able to understand what the client is going through, but sometimes it, it helps also to, to give us insights around it so yeah and i mean that, that creating that kind of distance i think is is not necessarily a, a good approach i think we should really feel the other person suffering of to really understand where they're coming from and if we do have own experiences with that particular part of our lives then we can really relate to that in a, in a, in a deeper way um another thing that was coming to my mind is that although idealistically we would say yes I can help anybody and like we're talking limiting, not limiting our beliefs, but in reality, we can only help those who want to be helped. So if yeah. these people 
um, let's say, come with an attitude. They say, I know better than you. I'm not going to follow your advice. It doesn't matter who they're talking to, even if they're ex experienced, it won't work. The same Again, way that... as somebody who doesn't want to quit smoking, there's nothing you can do about that. And again, that would be in a one-on-one -on -one context. I have coached younger people uh, in a one-on-one -on -one context. Yeah, we'd get curious about what their motivations are, where their values are within them and what's important. I would totally be able to give them guidance. But in, in you know, what I took the question uh, initially as is, you know, in the content, you know, context of, of society right now and in uh, the battle of the generations, Definitely, I, I wouldn't have an opinion on that. But if somebody, a young person was coaching me, it was coming to coaching with me, it would be about finding their true selves. And what do they want? And where do they want to get it? And what's getting in their way? Like, you know, the framework would be the same. Exactly. I think that and that is the point, too. It's like whatever we see, whatever is manifested in the situation is because they are looking for themselves and they're trying to find their identity. And in some ways, they might not connect with with who they really are. And it manifests itself in different ways. So in that sense, too, again, the, the idea of not limiting yourself, it's like, you know what, we can try, I can see if it works for you, and then yeah. we can take it from there. I want to shift a, a bit more because you, you are a coach, a life coach, but also a leadership coach. I want to look a bit more at leadership. What makes a good leader according to you? Oh, where to begin? <laughs> <laughs> where to begin? Uh, leadership for me, I've always said to whoever wants to hear it, leadership starts with self. So how can you go and guide other people and lead other people if you're not even doing it with yourself? I think your ability to meet your people, you can only meet your people as deep as you have been with yourselves. Um, so leaders come to me because they know how to delegate or supposedly, you know, lead people, but they say something's missing. They're, they're missing a connection. Like, they're not getting the synergy that they think they can get. And again, I tend to, to coach people in middle age and they're like, I think I'm doing the right thing. And I will put a smile on because I know I'm supposed to be relating, but it doesn't come from the heart. True leadership comes from the ability to truly authentically connect and not being scared of what the person's going to bring to the table. People, people are emotional creatures that have their own wishes and dreams and, and agendas to some, you know, and I think a lot of leaders or managers that are maybe not truly leaders, they get scared. They avoid conversations. They get scared of getting curveballs. What if this person gets all intense on me? You know, and they're really scared because they haven't met themselves at a true level and they don't have the mastery of themselves. As leader, once we have met ourselves at a deeper level and understand the emotional landscape and our inner landscape and have compassion and acceptance, we're much more able to show up for people. And when, when people in my office used to come with big emotions and big conflict and, and, you know, and I was able to hold space for them and just say, okay, yeah, yeah. And unpack it and look at it with a different lens and not feel triggered because, you know, I'm not going to have all the answers. Oh, what happens if I don't have all the answers? I might not. We're just two humans. And that's, so this ability to connect, I think is, is, the, is the foundation to have trust. And that should be at the base of, of a true leadership, I believe. I completely agree. And, but the, the problem is you have a lot of uh, companies who say, we are looking for a true leader. We want somebody who thinks outside of the box. But then the person they hire for the position does not do any of those things and ends up being somebody who's very limited in their leadership capacities. And that's both things I've seen, also personal experience, where I say, I can see leaders in this group, but they are not the ones who are being promoted in the company. That's right. So how can we deal with that? Because it is quite frustrating and it's not helping anyone. It's not helping the company. It's not helping the employees. It's not helping the clients. It is a total disaster in many cases, actually. I know there's a big difference between the, the authority, between having a title, like a manager title does not make you a leader. And I mean, Absolutely. I used to have people on my team that were individual contributors with no title that had way more leadership than other people I worked with that were at my level of, you know, um, it really, 
And what I've seen is that some managers, they just have that reluctance to give people control, uh, autonomy, um, to let them grow to a certain level. They're threatened. So what's, what's it going to say about me? I'm a manager. I'm a marketing manager. If these people come up with better ideas and better strategies than me, what does it say about me? And I'm threatened, so I'm going to keep this person small. Um, that's a very autocratic way, and, and it does not. And what you're talking about that, you're talking about the other side of the, of, of the, yeah, for sure. What we want is, and that's what I did in leadership, and that's why my teams were thriving and loving what they did, gave them purpose. We had a clear vision, clear purpose, engaging vision where they were invited to contribute in teamwork. But that presupposed that I wasn't afraid to be proved wrong or out of date or with, you know, you know, I wasn't afraid to be said, okay, Luz, that's kind of like 20 years ago marketing, we're going to do this. And I'm like, yes. Ultimately, I wanted the, the people below me on the art chart to rise up to a level where they can take my job because I'm growth oriented as well. And I will go and take another job or so I was interested in growing them, even if it means they have to leave the company to go work somewhere else at an equivalent level than me. I encourage growth. I, you know, and that's what I think leadership, true good leaders have a growth mindset. And I, I like how we say 20 years ago, because a lot of the concepts people have about the labor market, about schools as well, is based on ideas that is, that is very old and that doesn't work. One of the ideas is, for example, at work, the nine to five job, the idea of if, I, if you are stuck in this place, in this prison, let's call it a prison, which is the office, then we, you're going to be more productive. But now we actually have studies who show the exact opposite. Now that people are working remote, remotely and they have a more flexible schedule or the possibility of having a four-day weekend instead of five days, it right. actually drives productivity. Give people autonomy. That's it. You got a common purpose. Give them autonomy, you know, with support as needed. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing. As leaders, it's not about people conforming to our rigid model. It's about ourselves adapting to what people need to thrive, rise, and grow. Mm -hmm. So for some people, like me, I like office work. I like to have an office. I like to be on site, I, you know. And some people work really well at home. It's know what works for your team members. Give them more of that. Give them stretch assignments as well, sometimes just to get out, you know, outside. But ultimately, for me as a leader, I've always taken great pride in having people that are better than me on certain things. I want to surround myself with motivated people who are super good at what they do. I think mm -hmm. that speaks for a good leader. Emotional intelligence, empathy, compassion, and, and right. we see a one size fits all. If everybody's in the office from nine to five, you have to be there too, even if you don't like it. And that is not helping. And we see the same in education. Now, let's look, for example, if you look at high school or elementary school, it's the time you do. You've been here from nine to three, and you've been here for a whole year. Therefore, now you can go to the next level. You serve time. Yeah, serve time in this in this prison, which doesn't really mean that you actually learned something or that you actually grew or that you anything stuck there. It just I did my time and now I can graduate. And I think that is, again, a misconception, too, that we have in terms of education as somebody who is who has been in education for for decades now myself. And I see it all the time. And it is so frustrating as well. Well, control is something, you know, like an insecure manager will be afraid to give control to other people and to lose control. And they want to know everything and they micromanage. Yeah, yeah. that's a roadblock. Yes. Insecurity have. is the right word. Yeah, micromanage. That's right. You know that. yeah. But they don't know that. They don't know that. But again, and perfectionism is another thing. Let people be the, the, the humans that they're going to be. We're just humans, mm -hmm. you know, beyond the performance, we're just humans. And what we know in conscious leadership is that the performance will go up if, if the purpose is right and if there's enough autonomy um, and ability to expand. And what you said earlier, I think there's also the element of fear. It's like, what will oh. happen? They're afraid of their own position because they say, here is competition. And this is our, our mind frame. But 
uh, when we when we look at it, we just see everything as a potential source of competition. So that it's not just the other companies, it's the people within the company. So basically everyone is on their own trying to survive and that is not helping anybody, least of all the company. Yeah, culture of insecurity. And that's the thing. So you said earlier, how do we change that? It needs to start from the top. Yeah. It needs to start with a leader that can show up with an open heart and say, this is my vision for this company and I don't have all the answers. Will you work with that? Arash, you're awesome at this. <laughs> so and so you're awesome at this. Can, can everybody right here commit to work, to bring to the table what they have to, to bring? We're going to collaborate. I really don't have all the answers. You guys own this as much as I do. This is our project. You but know, also, and, also accepting our own places. And even though it's at the lower spots, if you like, lower positions, we can demand things. And we see that too with like people who say, you know what? No, we're not satisfied with this and we are going to speak against that. So there is that movement too. It's like, you know what? You need to change your ways of doing things. And, we, and that is a great change. That is a great movement that is happening. And that well, is also a lot of people resign because they cannot bring about those changes that they want. It's okay for leaders to have a vision of what excellence looks like and to work towards that. But also they have to be able to, to talk to their people and say, how can I help? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You're paid 40 hours a week or you're paid to deliver this. Yeah, there's deliverables to, to hit. There is. How can I help as a leader you to, to thrive? For me, an ideal manager is a coach as well. Yeah. Like, you know, I will try to empower you because right. we're in this together. And when you, when the team grows, that's the everybody grows. And I, I, I see the same with, with, with my family. And we say, you know, we're a team. We work together. If you are successful in something, then that is good for everyone. But you see a lot of families that are dysfunctional and where they get envious. They're like, okay, now you have success. Why not me? And then they fight among each other and sibling rivalry and all that. And I just don't understand that. But again, I do understand it at the same time because it is that, that lack of confidence, that insecurity, that fear of being less, you know, of, of seeming less in front of others. And so that is, that is troublesome. One it thing is. I, yeah, sorry. So in my work with leaders, we're going to, you know, they, they, you know, they bring situations where they, they were snappy or they felt they, there's somebody they don't like to relate to. And I'm like, OK, and we just get curious about what's there, what's underneath the, the reaction, what's underneath the malaise with so and so. Oh, she she comes to my office and this and that. And then I'm, I'm like, OK, what are you scared of? OK, you know, this per and, and what is it that you want to say that you can't? And so we, we just we just unpack it and understand what is motivating these reactions mm -hmm. and ultimately a leader who's able to meet themselves at that level is no longer afraid to have conversations and is no longer afraid to tell people whether they have good performance or bad performance and what needs to happen and they're they're no longer afraid to be flexible to their team members so that their team members can rise and, and we take criticism way too personal in many cases where you can see it as the opportunity. Okay, this is how I can improve. And when, when, when you get, it depends uh, if it comes from uh, uh, um, uh, an authentic source, if it comes from the heart and you really want people to succeed and say, this is why. And as, as an instructor, that's what I do with my students. It's not to, to belittle them or ridicule them. It's like, I want you to succeed. So that's right. why I'm giving you this criticism and I might use the authority of grades to guide you hopefully in the right direction. Yeah. But uh, I think the people don't see that opportunity, that learning, that growth opportunity that is in, in feedback that we get, honest feedback from others. Yeah. Totally. Performance appraisal is needs to happen. There needs to be some measurements for people to understand where they are and be fully accountable for their performance. You know, good leadership is not just let people do whatever they want. There also needs to be, yeah, there are deliverables and measurables that we need to attain as a team, of course. Um, but instead of just beating it out of them, it's just get them to, to rise to it. And then, yeah, when people fail, yeah, I want to be told if I'm doing something wrong, I, wa I want to be told and explain what happened. Mm -hmm. um, we're all humans. I make my fair share of mistakes all the time and I we mean 
yeah but but it's and i want to learn from it exactly it's that focus on the negative that is holding us back because it's a you have like i have an evaluation of 50 students but one student was unsatisfied and to overblow that, to take it as an insult, I failed because of one, you know, and that's like, was it 2%? And that is also the, the focus of perhaps managers, like what happened to that one student? Let's forget about the 49 other students who had a great time. Why not that one? I think that is the wrong approach. But again, if, if somebody is uncomfortable with themselves, they don't allow themselves to be humans, mm -hmm. then, People are really scared. In that case, I would say, what are you scared of? You know, like to, well, because if my company is going to think that I'm not really good. Yeah. And what's under that? Well, I need to be good. Otherwise, I'm not worthy. Okay. What's under that? And just kind of just really get curious. And at, at the end of a session like that, the person's like, oh, yeah. It's not really the end of the world. That's a really old childlike energy in me that is scared to probably did abandon of some, you know, some kind of really old story, no matter what the narrative is. And that takes over even right now in their midlife careers, right? And uh, we have different roles and we're more complex than that. So if, if that's, that's one part of you, there are all the other parts that are going really well. And, but it just like tries to overshadow all the good parts that we have, because it's like, our, like you say, and I completely agree with that. That's been a shift for me as well. It's like your job does not define you. It doesn't say who you are because you can switch your job and that is okay so you can suddenly be take a different career and suddenly what happened to the person you were before but there is a true essence of you that responds to it and if it's a job that aligns more with who you are then that is something that you will identify with more so but a lot of us think that they are the jobs and that's when we use the language what are you and what do you do i am and then we have the job but i am thinking it's more than that i'm also a father i'm also a husband i'm also a friend i'm also a blogger a writer uh, and so on but we we lose that perspective and it's just like that. jobs that are like driving us and if let's say god forbid you're unemployed you are a failure yeah. In the views of society, you know, that's right. No, but I mean, I love what you said. We have, we all have different buckets, you know, um, do you know how many people I hear? Yeah, I'm a mom. Yeah. But once the kids leave the, the nest, like, what are you going to do? You know? And then people kind of feel like, Oh, what am I going to do? Who am I going to focus another thing. on? Yes. You identify with that one role, but again, there's so much more that we need to identify with. And I want to get to, um, romance romantic love and if you have soulmates and i believe in soulmates and uh that is something that not everyone shares and a lot of like people psychologists coaches i talk to they say well it depends anybody could be it there is no special someone and i understand that but i also disagree with that so what would you say like in terms of of, of love of finding a person who is truly special and uh, fits with uh, who we are um I don't know if I believe in soulmates, okay. to be honest, or yeah. twin flames or all that stuff. Um, what I know to be true is that in order, for me anyway, in order to meet somebody, how can I say that? I had to get to a level of self-knowledge, of mastery of myself and owning every part of who I was without running away from it before I could meet somebody who had done the same and then the potential for for a conscious relationship exists mm -hmm. i've tried to have conscious relationships with people uh before i still have some shadows and some blinders blind spots and they also did to, often to a greater extent um and and it was just really difficult to build something without a certain level of awareness and consciousness of our own patterns. You know, we're two people in midlife. How are you supposed to? <laughs> we all have idiosyncrasies and ideas about what this should be or this should feel. So how are you supposed to blend that? It has to be a completely, you know, transparent and conscious, you know, self-concepts, two self-concepts come together and say oh yeah I see it you know and this 
yeah, for sure. I, I like to see it as kind of the, the team that you have and just being a leader and basically both are engaged in it and both are growing and both are, are sharing their thoughts and opinion, but it's like the relationship is the third entity there. That's, that's yeah. like, like a child you would have. It's just like, and it grows. I mean, it's, you start off with, with infancy in your relationship and it's something that given the right circumstances will grow or doesn't. Again, that's another choice too. And it depends how it goes. People are sometimes stuck at the same level or they go different directions. And that happens too. I guess we all want something different. But for me, um, for me, I just wanted something really conscious. Like, like, uh, like you know, and yeah, the, the, the parallels to organizations, it's not that different, right? Um, to, to be able to treat it like, like a third entity. So I know in my relationships, we have guiding principles, just like you would do. There's a vision for the relationship. There's guiding principles. What are the non-negotiable of this relationship? I and like those that. are the same guiding principles that we share. We came with them together. And those are the pillars. I know that I can always count on that, that those are important, not just for me. Oh, I want my needs met. I need this. I need that. And I don't know what he needs because we don't talk about it. So, And then people just have quests on each of their side. And you know, pull the blanket here and there and my needs and your needs. So when we're able to actually maintain and or give maintenance, you know, to this relationship as an entity and say the relationships needs more of that right now, you know, and, and being able to treat it with, with reverence and with respect. Um, yeah. I, th I think there's just a tremendous potential there. Absolutely. And it requires a level of intentionality yes. and being comfortable and fully in acceptance of what our needs and desires are. And I think there's a misconception of freedom in different levels, whether it's political freedom or society, or even in relationships, people are so confused about that. And, and, and we see where people are, they say, we want more freedom and rights, but then they do not look at other people's rights. And you see the same in relationships too, where it's like, no, I'm free to do what I want to do. And it's like, no, there are these guiding principles that uh, you do have to follow for this to work. It's super interesting because my partner and I recently watched a podcast and, you know, and I've, I've then downloaded a book about that where uh, commitment is seen as the ultimate freedom. And we're both watching that together and we're like, oh yeah. And what I understand is that I no longer have to rely on steady texts and phone calls and seeing him three times a week to feel like completely accepted and loved. Um, I no longer need to do that. That's emotional freedom for me because I know we're fully committed. We are fully committed because we talk about it. We have our values, guiding principle, which we, we work on. Like, I mean, you know, it's part of, of the DNA of the relationship. And because it's so known and so conscious, I no longer have to, to have these signs to not become anxious in the relationship. He gets, I feel emotional freedom. He gets freedom out of that. Some days we're not going to talk to each other until seven o'clock at night. It's fine. I, so that is freedom that we can and freedom to be exactly who we are, to show up at the vibrational level that we might be with some, sometimes some, some pains and aches and sometimes we need support and sometimes we need more room to breathe and being able to authentically speak that readiness level to the other person because you're fully committed, that's a tremendous amount of, of freedom. So yeah, people could say freedom is being without commitment. I say, I'm starting to realize that there's a tremendous amount of freedom that comes from being committed. Being committed depends what you're committed to, but if you believe in it, people are committed to religious beliefs. I'm committed to writing. I'm committed to reading, and I see it as something that's free. I'm committed to my relationship, and it's out of my own will. I'm choosing it. So, right. and the idea of also like representing, and that's what's happening currently in, in many cases, representing um, marriage as an institution that limits you and so on. I completely disagree with that. I think that's the ultimate freedom, but depends again, who you're married to. So that, that's right. Yeah. But what I commit to in my relationship is I commit to, I picked this relationship because it was, a, it was completely aligned with who exactly. I am. So by living this, relationship I am committed to myself I am committed to the having a, a like a really healthy 
conscious relationship is important to me. I'm committed to myself to do that. And I'm committed, you know, to, to this person who I found on my path and are just as aligned to themselves as I am. So we can do life together in a way that's not codependent and just kind of free in a way. Exactly. Um, I think we did cover pretty much <laughs> a lot of things that, that you do. I wanted to look at your, your uh, position, your job as a leadership coach, as well as life coach. I think I have a great idea. It's wonderful ideas that you have. And I really like your, your approach in that sense. And um, I, I think we, we, we cover like pretty much anything that uh, would fall into that. Is there anything else you, you want to mention or talk about uh, before we, we wrap up here? today no i i love what i do i just love what i do i i love that i'm able to be a sounding board for people on their very intimate journey to themselves and to live the life that they want to live i feel honored to work with with clients and have that really privileged role i love i love what i do and i like to surround myself with people with people that are curious about their journey we're all humans just trying to have a wonderful experience yeah and 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 we feel that so when when we make a difference in in somebody's life it comes back to us and it's that kind of sense of gratitude that they give to us and we we take and then we give to them and it's just like continuously growing in in, in a positive way um so, so instead of being stuck in a like a, a job that you you hate or don't like or you just do because of the wrong reason because for the wrong reasons and then you're not feeling that and you're missing out and uh, I, I i i read somewhere that um, most heart attacks happen on mondays because people <laughs> don't want to go that. to work and so that is quite, quite interesting. So if your heart is not in something, whether it's a relationship, your job, or where you are, maybe you don't like your location, your country, your culture, whatever it is, I think you need to find something that is more attuned with, with yourself, yeah, just for your health. <laughs> that's really sad. Um, in closing, I would say, you know, in life coaching, you know, or leadership coaching, we'll explore, you know, what's under, you know, what is motivating, you know, our choices and all that. But ultimately, it doesn't mean you have to change your life. You know, if you decide that, you know, ultimately, you're, you, you, the client always has a choice, right? Sometimes it's, it's minor adjustments where you realize, oh, this is yeah. actually how I can see it. Just the shift right. in, your, in, your, in your mind. And you just say your mindset and you say, oh, wait, I do like this. I just didn't notice it, right? Or it could be that big drastic change that we talked about going a completely different but you're direction. You're right. Even minor tweaks can bring so much more fulfillment. It's a it's a mindset thing. And having somebody external to work with you on that is just super rich. Thank you so thank much. You Such a wonderful interview. Thank you so much. Best of luck to you. And thank you, uh, thank you for being on the rashes world.